2 Kings chapter number 2. This morning we were in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll actually revisit that here in just a moment. But I want us to begin our reading this evening in 2 Kings chapter number 2, and it is good to be back in the Lord's house tonight. Don't ever treat Sunday night like it's just Sunday night. Lots of folks have been saved on those just Sunday nights and got help. Marriage has been healed. God got the victory on just Sunday nights. So I hope you've come excited to hear from the Lord tonight. I'm excited to preach tonight, and uh, I believe He's excited to be here too. Amen? All right, Second Kings chapter number 2 this evening. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha... Now, before we read any further, in case you're not familiar with it, Elijah's the older man of God. He's the one we preached about this morning. He's been the prophet of God. Now God's going to take him home, and Elisha, who is the younger man, is going to be the prophet in his room or in his stead. And so that sort of times, uh, that can be confusing, but if you get those straightened out, the way I like to remember it is that J comes for S in the alphabet, or it does in mine. I don't know if it does in yours, but it does in mine. And that helps me kind of keep it straight. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood, they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. They were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went 
over. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity and the privilege to be in Your house. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would have liberty this evening to work in the hearts of those that are here. I pray that Your Son would be lifted up high and holy, glorified and magnified in our heart's mind. Lord, we love You tonight. We thank You for loving us. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of the most interesting passages, I believe, in all of the Word of God. Elijah, the old prophet of God, his ministry is over. The Lord is taking him home. And isn't it good to know that those that know the Lord have the same sort of end that Elijah has? Now, you may not get caught up in a whirlwind. You may not be separated from your loved ones through a chariot of fire. But that which really matters the most will be true for you, just like it was with Elijah. There'll come a day when you'll depart from this world and be in the presence of of the Lord. That's what we're seeing in the life of Elijah. But it's also a transition time and a transition point because Elisha is going to be the prophet in the room of Elijah. And that language means in the stead of Elijah. He's going to step into the office that Elijah has occupied. But you know, as I read this passage, I've always been struck by a particular item and thought and ideal that seems to take the center stage in this passage. And that topic, that ideal, that object is the mantle of Elijah. Isn't it remarkable? And you can see it there in verse number 8 when Elijah takes his mantle and smites the Jordan River and it's divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. You see it in verse number 13 where it says he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. You can see that old man of God at the end of his life taking that mantle and casting it away. And then in verse 14 when Elisha takes up that mantle and smites those very same waters and performs the same miracle that Elijah had just performed. What an astounding thing that must have been to behold. Couldn't you imagine being one of those 50 sons of the prophet that stood to view them by the river Jordan and saw Elijah take that mantle that he had worn for so many years, wrap it together. It had lost none of its power, lost none of its influence. It worked as good that day as it ever had before as he smites the waters and they are parted in two. As I search for a meaning in this passage, I think any time we read the Bible, we ought to search for meaning. We ought to try to gain something from it, try to understand something from it. I think the mantle could probably represent a lot of things. It could represent your prayer life, and I think that absolutely could be true. could represent uh, a ministry, and I think that could be true. And uh, certainly uh, lots of preachers have preached it that way with the passing of the mantle on to another generation. As I read this passage, there's one prevailing thought, one prevailing truth that I believe that mantle is representative of, and that is of the faith of Elijah. What was it that made Elijah such a remarkable person? What was it that made that mantle such a remarkable mantle? It wasn't just that it belonged to Elijah, because when it belongs to Elisha, it still does the same thing. It wasn't just the personal history connected to it, because when it changed owners, it still had power. It was representative of the office of the prophet. In fact, the first time, really, that you see the mantle in prominent view, uh, you see it on the person of Samuel. Samuel was uh, sort of he was uh, sort of the the last judge and the first prophet concerning a national prophet. We know 
know that there were prophets before him. The Bible teaches us that Enoch was a prophet and he prophesied. The Bible teaches us, of course, that Moses was a prophet. But in the office of a prophet, the ministry of a prophet as a national figure whose responsibility it was to cry aloud and spare not and call men back to a walk with God, Samuel was sort of the first prophet. And his uh, mantle is the first mantle that's really pictured in the Bible. In fact, it was so distinguishing of a thing uh, that whenever the witch at Endor begins to describe the person she's seeing to Saul, she says, I see an old man hooded and cloaked with a mantle. It was representative of the belief and trusting God's Word that what God said, God would do. If we were to give a definition to faith, the Bible probably gives the best definition. In fact, I'd say it definitely does in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, where it tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But if I was to give you a practical working definition, I would give you this definition for faith. Faith is the belief in God's Word and the effect that follows. It is the belief in God's Word and the effect that follows follows. We believe that God's Word is true. We believe that God's Word has always been true. And even further than that, and I don't know how many believe this, but I know around here we still believe that God's Word will always be true. And it's not just an academic distinction, but it's an effectual application of that truth as faith begins to work through and outward of our lives and people can see that we live, walk, behave, act differently than other people do because of this concrete foundational principle in our life that the Word of God is absolutely true. Tonight I want to preach for a few moments about the mantle of faith, and I want to give you five thoughts. Now, don't get nervous because it's just five thoughts. It's not five thoughts and 14 sub-points and 12 sub-sub-points, but just five simple thoughts tonight about this mantle. And what we're going to do is look at every time that it's mentioned in Scripture. Turn back with me to our text this morning in 1 Kings chapter 19. Just a few pages back in my Bible, probably not much further in yours. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to notice the first time this mantle is actually ever mentioned. Now, this is the beginning. Or could, could we say this? This is sort of the birth of the mantle of Elijah. Before this point, this mantle was just any other mantle. But it rose to prominence in 1 Kings chapter 19. Look with me at verse number 8. The Word of God says, and we read this this morning, most that were here this morning, you'll remember this. Elijah's running from uh, his problems, running from his circumstances. And it says, and the angel touches him and gives him food to eat. And he goes in the strength of that. It says, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a still, small voice. Verse 13 says this, And it was so when Elijah heard it, 
that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? I want you to notice first off the proximity that this mantle allowed. Why did Elijah wrap the mantle around his face? He wasn't doing it just because he was ashamed. He wasn't doing it just because maybe the wind had made it cold outside. He wasn't doing it certainly for fashion reasons. The reason that he wrapped his face in his mantle is because it was a common belief and a biblical belief back then that no man could see God without dying. Elijah understood this truth that he in and of himself, him and his natural energies, could not see God, could not perceive God without dying, but the mantle allowed him to see God and still live. It was a means of dwelling in the presence of God. It was a means of enjoying the sound of that still, small voice. Can I say this tonight? That faith is the only means of seeing God. The only means. But without faith, it is impossible to to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Through faith we have the ability. You say, how is that, preacher? Does it mean when we start to trust God that God's going to give us these visions? Does it mean when we start to trust God uh, that all of a sudden the Lord's going to split heaven and walk down and set His throne room down? No. What it means is if we'll believe God about it, there's no need for Him to do that. Because God is very clear about who he is. One of the unique things about the, the, by the God of the Bible, and I, you know I hate to say it that way because we know that, that there's no other God except the God, uh, but even Paul used that language. He said, you know, they're not gods, but for the sake of the discussion, uh, the thing that's unique about the God of the Bible is that he both wants to know man and wants man to know who he is. He's not hidden himself. He's not veiled himself. He's gone to great lengths, gone to great efforts, so that we can know who he is. And if we'll only believe the Word of God about him, then we can get to know him better. People say all the time, well, I just wish I knew more of God. I wish that I knew God better. I just wish I was closer to him. Can I tell you something? This book and faith in this book is the only way you're going to get to know him better. But through faith, in trusting and believing that God is who He says He is, that He does what He says He'll do, and that He will do in our lives what He's promised us, is the means of getting to know God better. Christians have a bad habit of looking everywhere for something that's already right where you need it. We spent some time yesterday looking for some keys. That sounds like fun, don't it? And uh, we, we, were, we had lost a set of keys, and, you know, we're real responsible, so we only had one set. Amen? And uh, that's how it is. The, the keys, I've got two copies of. I don't ever lose either of the copies ever in my entire life. But the one that I got one copy of, sure as anything, we're going to lose it. And so we began to look, and we began to look, and we began to look. Let me tell you something. You start looking places you ain't never been after a while when you're looking for keys. I mean, you know, you start saying, Honey, have, listen, have you checked in the steeple? Oh, I need to check in the steeple. We ain't never been in the steeple, but we know it ain't nowhere else, so it might be in the steeple. And we kept looking and looking and looking. You know where they're sitting? Right in plain sight like they always are. Isn't that just like a human being? 
We get so distracted with the journey and with the search that we miss that the destination's right in front of our face. That's true about Christians, too. I mean, there ain't no telling how many millions of dollars is made off of Christians with books being written on how to know God better, how to get to know God, stepping stones to a closer walk, so on and so forth. Listen, the Word of God says this, that the Word is not far away. It's not up in the heavens that it can't be reached or in the bottom of the sea that we can't attain unto it. But the Word is not even very nigh in our hearts and in our ears. This is how we get to know God. But it takes faith. We have to believe what God says about Himself. But through faith, we have the ability to see God. Now, not in a physical sense. Not even, if it may sound contradictory, but not even in a visible sense. But in a spiritual sense, we can see God. You say, well, there's no biblical principle. Sure there is. Paul said this to the Galatians believers. He said that Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, you've seen Him on the cross. Now, the Galatian believers, they had probably never been to Calvary. They certainly weren't there on the day that Jesus was crucified. But what he was saying is, this. Through faith in what was preached to you, you see as just a real effect as the people that were standing there that day that Christ was evidently crucified. You know what that word evidently means? That means it's got evidence to support it. Evidently. There's evidence for it. Well, what was that evidence in their life? Now, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things not. It's the evidence, the evidence, the evidence. And so I see the proximity of this man. I also find it interesting that uh, the, that man allowed him to hear the voice clearer. Look at it again. It's just right there in front of you. He hears a still small voice, but we don't know what the voice says. The Bible never tells us what the voice says. But he wraps his face in the mantle. He goes out to the entering into the cave. And then, clear as a bell, he can hear it. It's the same voice that spoke to him before the mountains quake. And it says, What doest thou here, Elijah? Only through faith can we really hear the voice of God in our lives. You know why? Faith cometh by hearing, not by seeing. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But do you know that this book not only produces faith, but it relies on faith. You know what people do? People have a bad tendency of doing that. And I'm guilty of it. I'm sure everybody probably is. But, you know, we have a tendency sometimes. We sit in service and we hear, you know, we hear a message and we think to ourselves, well, I wish so-and-so had been here to hear that. I wish so-and-so. Let me just let you in on a secret. God knew who's going to be here and who wasn't. And that, and that I wish so-and-so had been here can kill your Christian walk sometimes. Because you know what you're doing? You're saying, it's not for me, it was for them. Hey, if you're here tonight, it's for you. Amen? God knew. God orders this thing. He directs this thing. He knew that you'd be here tonight. And He's got a message for you. But you've got to believe that. You've got to trust that. When I say believe that, when I say trust that, when I speak of faith, I'm not speaking of an overinflated emotionalism. Nor am I speaking of a resolve of the will. You know, that's what the TV preachers, that's what they present faith as, as a resolve of the will, the resolve for your will to override God's will. You just name it loud enough and claim it vigorously enough, then God's going to do it. Let me tell you something, God's will is a lot stronger than your will or my will. That's not what faith is. Faith has to have a foundation. Where does it come from? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith is not believing God's going to do what you want. Faith is believing God's going to do what He said. But with His Word as the foundation, we can put our trust that His Word is true. Notice not only the proximity of the mantle. Turn me down just a hair there, Nick. Nick, turn me down some. This thing's awful hot. Maybe I'm just burning up. I don't know. Maybe the preaching's that... No, I don't think that's it. Amen. Look down at verse number 19. 
We see not only the proximity of the mantle, but notice the passing of the mantle. It says in verse number uh, 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. We see that faith is something that a person can truly only derive from the Word of God, but it is something, too, that can be encouraged in the lives of others. Elijah could have walked by somebody else, passed the mantle on to him, and it wouldn't have made him a prophet. But because Elisha was the prophet that was going to follow him, he did cast the mantle upon him. Let me tell you something. This is one of the mistakes I think a lot of parents make. They think they can superimpose their faith upon their children. You cannot do that. Try as you may, they've got to make their own decisions. Here's what you can do, though. When you see God working in their life, you can talk about it. When you see God doing something in their life, you can encourage them in it. When you see that God's speaking to them, you can encourage them to listen. And through that, you have the ability to have an influence on their spiritual walk. The Lord had already commanded. He said, Elijah, I want you to go and find Elisha and anoint him to be the prophet in your room. And so Elijah is carrying this out. And he goes and he takes this mantle. This mantle didn't mean much at the time. Let me say that again. The mantle didn't mean much at the time. You'd be amazed the little things that can have an impact on young people. Little things that seem insignificant, that seem like they're not important, that seem minuscule to you, but sometimes that's the very thing that grips a child's heart and soul and lets them see the truth of God in a clear prism that they have never seen it before. It may have seemed insignificant to some. No doubt Elisha... uh, could have been like many others and wondered what he is doing. But Elisha didn't. He knows. Look what it says in uh, verse number 20. He says, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will, go, I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? Now, this is interesting. You sort of have to put yourself in the shoes of these men. Because Elisha runs to him and he says, Oh, Father, let, I, I, I thank you. I, I pray, thank you for allowing me to be in the ministry. But let me first go and kiss my mother and my father and say goodbye to them. Elijah says something very interesting. He says, What have I done to thee? So what he's saying is this. I've not done anything to you, Elijah. God's the one that's called you. God's the one that has done this. Because Elijah couldn't call him into ministry. He could anoint him into ministry, but he couldn't call him into ministry. God had to do that. Elijah could have an influence on his life, but he could not call him. He could not originate that. The Lord had done that. He says, do whatever you want to do. It's not me. It's between you and God. That's where the issue lies. And he goes, he slays the oxen, he boils it for the men that are there, he tends to those things, and then he goes and he follows Elijah. There's a very interesting verse. I've always been struck by this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 5. All of our grandmamas are going to like this. You know that, that only one time in the Bible is the word grandmother used. Now, I know what you're thinking. That can't be right. He's using one of them new Bibles. My King James has it. About, no, your King James Bible. One time in the Bible. But in that verse, the emphasis is on the influence that a godly grandmother can have. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. The first place that it dwelt, that's what Paul says, first. 
I, I believe that we can probably understand that to mean that Lois was probably a first-generation Christian. She was probably the first in her family. No telling the impact that was had when she was won to Christ and began to raise her daughter Eunice in the ways of the Lord. Now little Timothy's coming along, and God's using him in a mighty way. There is unfeigned faith within him. Not, not apart from him, but also because of Lois and Eunice. He could, she, listen, I, and I'm trying to say this carefully as I know how. She couldn't force him to have faith. She couldn't even pray him into having faith. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't ask the Lord for it. I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference. But I'm saying this, that she couldn't pray faith into his life against his will. But it didn't mean she didn't have an influence. It didn't mean she didn't have an impact. There's very few people in your life that affect your life the way that your grandparents do. I mean, your parents affect you in a profound, profound way. But everybody remembers what it was like to sit at Mamma and Papa's knees. And surely Timothy could look back and remember sitting at the feet of a godly grandmother as she clung to whatever scriptures she owned and had and read them and wept over them and shared them with her little grandson. And it had an impact on her life. Don't sell short the impact you have on your grandkids because sometimes it can be a decisive thing. We see the passing of the mantle. Look in chapter number 2 again. We don't see the mantle mentioned throughout the rest of Elijah's ministry. But in chapter number 2, in the verses that we've read, the mantle comes into the scene once more. And when it comes into the scene, it comes in, for lack of a better term, comes in with a bang in verse number 8. Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 8 of Second Kings. It says, And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. Notice the power of this mantle. This is the first miraculous thing that we know of this mantle. Having a power. It may have done other things. It's entirely possible. But Elijah used it at this point to do and to perform a miracle. He could have used anything. But God said, Elijah... Take your mantle, wrap it together, smite the waters. I think it's indicative, not that the mantle had any intrinsic power, but it's indicative in his belief that the God of all heaven was also the God of creation and was also the Jehovah God whom he had served and that God was able to move and to work in his life. This is a very, I won't say mysterious thing, but I think a very misunderstood thing when we talk about faith. Uh, the Bible tells us this. Christ told His disciples, if you have the faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be plucked up and cast over there. I don't know how many preachers have got on TV and just said, you just need to declare your problems away. I hate to tell you this tonight, but you can't just declare your problems away. It doesn't work that way. Lots of people have tried. If it would work, trust me, I'd be a preaching it to you. But it does not work. Why? Because where does faith come from? It comes from the Word of God. It doesn't come from our own will, our own desires, our own wants, our own wishes. It comes only from the Word of God. But if we will believe in the Word of God and trust that something that God has scripturally and in context promised, then it doesn't take much faith. Why? Because it's not necessarily our faith. It's the Word of God and its power. 
I was interested as I read through Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to know about faith, that's where everybody goes. And you learn a lot about faith. And I thought about the faith in the Old Testament. And we could go through, and if the Lord lets us, we may preach through it sometimes. But I found this to be interesting. Twenty times in Hebrews chapter 11, the phrase either by faith or through faith is used. In fact, you could probably compound that a little bit, because sometimes God just lumped stuff together. When He said that through faith they subdued kingdoms, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. What's God trying to get us to understand? That He's able, and the only thing that prevents Him is our faithlessness. Why will God not respond when we do not have faith? Because the chief purpose of everything that takes place in this world is the glory of the Lord. That's the chief purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 teaches us that you and I, we are created to be under the praise of His glory. Everything that takes place, that's the reason you can go about ministry in a worldly way and it's a self-defeating concept. Because the purpose is not just to build big churches, not just to have lots of professions, not just to seem real successful. We can do all those things, but if we have to rob glory from the Lord to do it, then we're defeating the grand purpose for which we are created. It can look good, it can sound good, it can smell good, it can taste good, but if it robs glory from God, it's not in the will of God. It's not in the will of God. So the Lord won't do things except in response to faith, typically. Why? Because that and that alone is the only means of Him getting glory out of what takes place. One of the things I love about our church, I love about our church, is how often we talk about the things God's doing in our lives. I love that. I believe that's biblical to do that. I believe we ought to sing His praises. I believe we ought to brag on Him all the time. A church that is a praising church will not be a dying church because the Lord inhabiteth the praise of His people. If we continue to brag on what God's doing, God says, I'll show up, I'll do something in your midst. People that have a problem with praise have a problem with the presence of the Lord because He inhabits the praise of His people. I think that's a good thing. I think that's important. You know why? Because that's the reason God does what He does. He does it so that He can get praise. You say, that sounds awful self-centered. Well, yeah, it would, except He's God. (laughs) It would, except He's God. Some would look at the Lord and say, you have some kind of God complex. Sure He does. He's God. He's worthy of the glory. He's due the praise. His name's exalted above all blessing and praise. And so when the Lord says to us that I'll do this so that I can get glory out of it, it doesn't take much. The Lord's ready to work. He's ready to move. He's ready to do something. And so it takes the faith as the grain of a mustard seed because it's not the faith that does it. It's the Word of God and the power of God that accomplishes it. I think it's interesting that the Bible says there in verse number 8 that He wrapped it together. Kind of like He just scrounged it all up, you know. I mean, isn't that sort of how faith is sometimes? You know, I mean, here it is. We've got faith, and we've got it stretched out over over every aspect of our life. And man, when things get rough, what do we do? We start wrapping it up and bundling up together. We get our focus on that issue, and we begin to trust God about it. That's a good thing. That's what he he wrapped it together and smote the obstacle with it. And in response, the Lord parted it hither. And thither, and he went over on dry. Listen to me. The Lord could have parted the Red Sea again if he wanted to. The Lord could have parted the Mediterranean. He could have parted the Atlantic if he wanted to. But the Atlantic, the Mediterranean, and the Red Sea weren't in front of Elijah. 
the Jordan was. And so the Lord dealt with the obstacle. We see the power of that man. I, I still believe faith is a powerful thing. I believe the Bible teaches that faith is a powerful thing because the God in whom we're putting our faith is a powerful God. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Look at verse number 13. I like this, though. I don't know that I'll deal with it a lot, but I just liked it so much I just had to preach about it. Verse 13 says this. It says of Elisha, He took up also the mantle of Elijah. Now notice this. That fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Now I'm going to tell you the, the perception I've always had. Can I do that? I grew up. I grew up in Christian school and Christian home, and, and grew up in Bible believing church. And sometimes, you know, when the the children's church guy just wanted to phone it in, they'd get one of these Bible tapes, and and you know, they they'd pop it in the VCR, and you'd watch it. And everybody was white. I don't know why, but I, I guess because it's white folks making the videos. But I mean, everybody was white on those. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that before. There, pro- probably there weren't a lot of white faces in the Bible, right? There was all there was all Middle Eastern. Amen. But for some reason, in this, they all—I mean—they all look like your next door neighbor. And we'd we'd sit and we'd watch those videos. And inevitably, when they would when they would show the one about Elijah, he'd come to the end of his life. He would always do this. He would have the mantle on, and the chariot would come, and he would take it off and look with with uh, admiration and pride and a glowing fatherly love at Elisha and say, "Elisha, here, cast it down to him." That's not what your Bible says. The Bible doesn't say the mantle that he cast away. The Bible doesn't say the mantle that he passed on. The Bible says the mantle that fell from him. I think the truth is this. Not necessarily that he was throwing that mantle down so that Elijah or Elisha could get it. He was throwing the mantle down because he's done with it. You remember the purpose of the mantle at the very first. He'd take it. This is the best I've looked in weeks, isn't it? Look at He'd take it and he'd wrap it around his face so that he could be in the presence of God. You know what Paul said? I like this. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, he says, For now we see through a glass dark, but then face to face. You know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, don't you? We call it the love chapter. And now about it, these three, faith, hope, charity. Your Bible don't say love, it says charity. Faith, hope, and charity. And the greatest of these is charity. You ever wonder why that is? Because charity is an eternal principle. Faith and hope are not. Why? For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face. Face to face. You know what I think Elijah was doing? And maybe this is a little sanctified imagination. You'll just have to forgive me for saying this. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. He had been walking by faith for a lot of years. God had sat down in His glory and in His throne room outside. And the only way He could see it and lay eyes on it was to wrap His face in that mantle. He had walked with God. He had been fed by the ravens. He had sat by the brook. He had been chased by pagan monarchs. Now He comes to the end of His life. The whirlwind's carrying him up to heaven. He says, I'm not going to need this mantle anymore. Because I won't look through the glass darkly. I'll look face to face. What's that dark glass that the Bible's talking about? We talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago. John saw it as a sea of glass as he was up there, but Ezekiel saw it as a firmament of crystal, shielding us from the full glory of the Lord. Elijah, if he was going to be on the same level and see it the way that God sees it, he'd have to wrap his face in that mantle. But now the old man of God's come to the end of his life. He can throw the mantle away. Aren't you thankful there's coming a day 
Right now, it may... Oh, listen, right now, you may be looking through a glass dark. Lot that you don't understand about what goes on in this life. Lot you can't figure out about what goes on beyond that veil. But there's coming a day when that mantle will be cast away for another to use. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, charity. The greatest of these is charity, because faith and hope are going to be done away as we dwell in the presence of God. You know what the Bible says? What does a man hope for if he sees it? Ain't no need for it. We walk by faith and not by sight now. Why? Whom having not seen, ye love and rejoice with joy unspeakable. Not seen Him yet. But there's coming a day we won't see Him by faith. We'll see Him by sight. Notice finally, and I'm done with this message. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, And He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from Him, and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He didn't say, where's the mantle of Elijah? It wasn't necessarily about the mantle. By the way, it's not about your faith. It's about who you put your faith in. Faith is a pretty common topic in this day that we live in. Do you know our president? He's a person of faith. He said so. I'm sure he is a person of faith. Faith in his own ability. Faith in the executive order. You've never met a man that's got faith in the executive order like our president does. It's not, it's not just a matter of faith. It's a question of what you've got faith in. We all have faith. You get in that car. So, well, some of you. Some of you this won't apply to, but some of you will know what I mean. Brother, Brother Charles, he won't be able to identify his car giving trouble today. But, but when we get in that car and go to turn that key, that's an act of faith. We're trusting that car is going to do what we're hoping it's going to do. <laughs> that, that's, and the evidence of it is the fact that we're sitting in the car. And the substance of it is the fact that we're turning the key. We're having faith. It's not just faith. You can put faith in anything. The Muslims have faith. In fact, in a lot of ways, they probably have a stronger faith than a lot of Christians do. Jehovah's Witnesses have faith. Mormons have faith. It's not about faith. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about putting your faith in Him. It's about the Word of God, putting your faith in the Word of God. So it wasn't about that. He didn't say, where's the mantle of Elijah? He had the mantle of Elijah. But he knew that just having the mantle of Elijah wasn't enough. He needed the object which the mantle of Elijah perpetuated a faith in. And that was the Lord God of Elijah. Look what he says. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the water, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. We see the perpetuity of the mantle. The mantle didn't go away. It's just Elijah didn't need it anymore. You know something? As long as you live in this life, you're going to need faith. As long as you're on this side, you're going to need faith. You need faith just as much, probably more today, than you did yesterday or the day before. Faith won't be done away with until we stand in the presence of the Lord. Faith will never go out of style. It may not be. And by the way, faith never was in style. <laughs> but putting your faith in the Word of God, it'll never go out of style. It's never been in style. It's a timeless thing. You'll always need it. You'll never get to a place where you're so spiritual you don't need the Word of God anymore. You're always going to need it. You'll never get to a place where you'll be so far along in your spiritual walk, you won't have to trust the Lord anymore. You're always going to have to trust Him. But I know this, that though Elijah may not be wearing the mantle, the Lord God of Elijah still sits on the throne. Just as He could work in the life of Elijah, He can work in our life. We spend a lot of time talking about the yesteryears. Here's the funny thing. We don't have the yesteryears anymore. We've got the today. What are we doing for God today? What have you done for God this week, this month, this year? We all look backwards and say, Oh, what God's done. But we all look forward and say, Oh, what God can do 
if we'll just trust Him and put our faith in Him. Because the mantle, it still works. Faith in the Lord still works. He still saves. He still moves. He still works. He still moves mountains. We don't move mountains, but He still moves mountains. And He's able to work in our lives if we'll just put our faith in Him.